If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, it's Dean West from The Hunt. Uh, I heard you were a fan of the movie, which which means you enjoy getting getting to watch me get my head blown off, which is emotional for me. I haven't really thought that out yet. Huh. It's a fun movie, though. Outside of, you know, doing like this a lot when they would shoot, just go to act like my, my face. Got shot. Other than that, I spent a lot of time um, harassing other people on set. I don't know, I have an issue with that. Especially if you're doing something that's kind of comedy. Keep a lot of energy. So I tend to just mess with people. Um, the the older guy in our group, uh, he was a jokester as well. So we kind of just kept messing with each other and I kept making grandpa jokes. Then that was a lot of fun. I want to also take a second to tell you uh, we have a really interesting world that we're living in right now. And one of the things that always keeps me going is when I just close my eyes, take a second, take a deep breath, and just remind myself, don't go out there. Just don't go out there. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist. It's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Don't Go Out There Horror Movie Podcast. Just want to thank all of our fans and listeners. Really appreciate y'all's support. You guys have been awesome. Uh, before we get into tonight's film, I just want to give a quick shout out to our website, don'tgooutthere.com. Everything about our podcast is on our website. Brian's done a fantastic job with the website. Check that out. All of our episodes and interviews from episode one, A Nightmare on Elm Street, to our weekly releases there. If you want to listen, you know, maybe you have an office job, you don't have access to your phone as much, check us out on our, our website. We've also done some incredible interviews in the past, you know, the big three slashers, Jason, Freddie, Michael. We've done all of those interviews, the Biggest final girls in the, in the in the genre, writers, directors, we've had them all on. So check out our interviews. We've got our store. We've got some new T-shirts out. Brian and Dustin, yet again, have done some incredible T-shirts. Check them out. A lot of old nostalgia. If you're a wrestling fan, we got some wrestling-themed shirts on there as well. Uh, check it out. Uh, they've done a great job, and we'd love to see your t- uh, you know, like T-shirt pictures if you got any. We'd love to see that. And I'm going to shout out our social medias. Uh, social media has been especially important for this previous month. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Like us, subscribe us, follow us, all that good stuff. We love interacting with our fans. We love, you know, just having conversations with you guys, getting to know you. 
from all across the world. It means a lot to us. Uh, you know, we've had you vote on every single pick this month, and we really appreciate the the turnout. It means a lot to us uh, that y'all care so much. And the last thing I'm going to shout out before we get into the review is just our Patreon. We call it Blood Donors. You know, we have the traditional monthly reoccurring kind. You know, you're a big fan of our podcast. You're like, man, I would like to help those guys out. We really appreciate it. You know, it's just like five, ten bucks, nothing major. But we appreciate every donation. You know, it helps us pay all the bills for this show, like hosting our audio files, hosting our website, making YouTube videos, all that stuff. None of it's free. So you take a big burden off us. We really appreciate it. Or you're thinking, hey, man, I would love for DGOT to review this movie. And uh, we have that option available as well. One-time donations. You get a free T-shirt. Uh, you get to pick what movie we do. So check out our website and the Blood Donors if you want to, if you're interested in that. All right, tonight is Brother Dustin's winning pick. Uh, I'll let him announce it and uh, why it was one of his nominees. Yeah, so uh, the ones I had was Eight-Legged Freaks, uh, with, of course, David Arquette, Freaky with Vince Vaughn, Warm Bodies with Nicholas Holt. So all those have guys in it that I really enjoy, uh, actors I really enjoy. The fourth one was The Winner, and it was The Hunt. The Hunt I put on here put on here because um, when I watched it, it was very entertaining, but it was also the exact – well, not the exact opposite, but it was very different than what I expected it to be. I didn't know anything about this movie, really. I didn't see any trailers or anything like that. I just saw the hunt and I saw a lot of people like saying how good it was. And so when I, you know, then it got delayed multiple times uh, in theater or for the release. And by the time I finally got to watch it, it was so shocking to me how different it was than what I expected that I was like, okay, yeah. Like when I, when I first watched this movie, I thought it was just going to be like an R rated kind of adult themed hunger games type. Um, Sim, I guess you could you could say it's kind of similar, but instead of you know uh, the the government and putting all these uh, people together to hunt each other, it's the elite hunting a bunch of their detractors. And so um, it was entertaining. I'm not going to say it's perfect, but uh, I wanted you guys to watch it because I, I know Mike had seen it. I don't think Brian and Nico had seen it, and so I was excited for them to watch it as well and uh, share our thoughts. Yeah, this is a movie that I'll go ahead and go next real quick. Uh, this is a movie that I've been wanting to watch for a while. We just kept putting it off for some reason, whatever reason. I'll say that I liked it. I thought it was pretty good, especially the actress who played Crystal. Uh, INDB is not working. So for some reason right now, I believe her name is Betty Gilpin, Betty. but yep. she was, she was my favorite aspect of this entire movie. She kept me engaged throughout. Uh, I thought she was, Truly incredible. I just love their, like, the way she delivered her lines, facial expressions, just her accent. I think she nailed it. And uh, it wasn't perfect by any means. I do think the movie, even though it's not long, there's some stuff that just drags a little bit. Uh, but I thought the very beginning and the very end, like like Mike said in the past, the bread of the sandwich <laughs> it was really good. There's just, you know, uh, some of the, in, the inside of the sandwich I thought dragged a little bit, but that's just all I'll say. And uh, go ahead, Brian, you can go next. Or Mike, you can go next. Yeah, so I've seen this movie one other time. I saw it during during the pandemic, you know, the height of the pandemic, because it got pushed back from 2019. And then uh, and I saw a few things about it then, and I got a little excited for it um, just because, you know, it's new horror and it had Blumhouse attached to it. So I thought, okay, you know, that would be good. Um, then it got pushed back and, you know, it didn't get a theatrical release, but you could pay 20 bucks. <clears throat> you could pay 20 bucks to <laughs> rent this thing or find a, find another outlet to watch this thing. And so I did. 
And um, I remember enjoying it, but I remember not paying a whole lot of attention because as Dustin can recall, at the height of the pandemic, there were a lot of fun Zoom Zoom calls and stuff. And and when I put this on, I may have had a little bit too much to drink after one of those fun time Zoom calls that we were all on back in the day. So it was really nice to go back and watch it with a fresh perspective. Um, I'm going to be honest. I think I may be the highest on this movie. I really enjoy it. Like there's some lull in the middle for sure, but I love the themes and topics that it that it touches on. I think it does a great job of making fun of both sides of the political aisle. Uh, I think both kind of get poked in the ribs, and I really enjoy that. I love when someone can do that and do it delicately. It's a hard line to balance, but I I think the people that made this movie did a really good job. Let's talk about the cast for a second. Uh, I thought the acting was pretty damn phenomenal all the way throughout. You mentioned Betty Gilpin. I thought. She was great. I thought once we finally see Hillary Swank, spoiler alert, I thought that she was really, really good in the you know final bit that we got to see her in. To me, the guy who stole the show is me and Dustin's man, Frankie Stacchino, baby. Ethan <laughs> Suplee stole the show, to me anyway, just as the character of Gary, and we'll touch a little bit more on that anyway. But, you know, Reed Bernie's in this movie. Ike Barinholtz, like there's so much good stuff. As far as the acting goes, that it kept me engaged the whole time. The runtime was another plus, 89 minutes. Give me all that shit. And I, I just think this movie is a fun watch. It's not too deep. I know it's political, but I don't think they really do anything but kind of skim the surface and make fun of everyone. And you kind of find yourself pulling for someone that you would otherwise consider, you know, on the fall ride or whatever you want to call that. So, I thought it was an interesting spin on the most dangerous game to me. Like that's the vibe I got from it. It had like the, you know, we hunt people for sport vibe. And I haven't read that novel since the 10th grade. So it's, you know, it's not fresh on my mind, but I do remember the, you know, the most dangerous game and, and it kind of touches on a lot of the same themes. So overall fun watch. I'm pretty high on it because of how quick it goes through. And honestly, this is one of the funniest movies I think we've done in a long time. Like it, like I don't know if it's all intentional, but there's some really funny shit in this movie. And so I'm glad you, I'm glad you guys picked it out of Dustin's picks. Yeah. So sorry guys for missing last week, but uh, yeah, I had some had some stuff going on. It definitely wasn't big ball and stuff like I was, you know, slandered on here while I was gone. But uh, you know, as far as this movie goes, look, this is my first time watching it. Like Dustin mentioned, I heard all the criticisms about this movie, and you know when it came out and. I was already, when it came out, I was already so damn frustrated and tired of political shit that, and I say this about a lot of movies, I mean, I watch movies to escape reality sometimes, and I just didn't want more political bullshit, so I never watched it, and had it not been picked, I don't know if I ever would have, but I'm very glad I watched it, I'm very glad it was picked. Um, it wasn't anything like I expected, uh, in a good way, but, um, you know, and, and I may not be as high on it as, as the rest of you guys I behind the curtain got cut off a minute ago, so I'm not sure exactly what you guys said, but um, it was just okay to me. Uh, I feel like that this would have been better to me had it not leaned so heavy into the satire and, you know, if it had a better lead. So that's obviously completely um, goes against what uh, wow. what Nico okay. said. So, well, uh, I, you know, I'll get into yeah. that a little bit. Um, but the runtime was great. The script was tight. You know, there's not any really waste anywhere. Most of the kills are phenomenal. I think it's a very easy watch. Uh, Lindelof wrote, and who I'm really a fan of, like he did what he he wrote Watchmen, Star Trek requels, which I loved. 
And I think they handled in here, and I think Mike was touching on it right when I came back on, but I think they handled both sides of the political spectrum very well. Um, I just, you know, I wanted something maybe a little bit different with the movie once I started watching it is all. I have some criticisms, you know, I'm not sure everyone will agree with, but uh, but we'll see. When you said the script is tight, I thought, man, like, man, that script is tight, yo. But you meant, <laughs> tight, okay, no. my bad. Yeah, son. Yeah, Back son. in the 90s. What's yeah. tight, dog? Yeah, I mean. That shit. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean. The only thing I will say, uh, the only really big criticism I have is the <laughs> end. And we'll get to that. I know I'm not alone. I, I saw it on the Godforsaken app that is Reddit, and I heard Dead Meat and his wife talk about it as well what they would have done differently. And I tend to agree with those sentiments, but I'll save it. But I do think if I have any criticism, it's pretty much just that. So I'm excited to talk about it. Brian, so you didn't like Betty Gilpin's performance? Oh, man. (laughs) Crystal May was a baller. What? I'll I'll, 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 I'll talk about it. It's like right on my first. Okay. I'm I'm listening. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Hey, we all got to I I liked, I liked her as an actress. I'll just say, but I, I wanted someone else in that role. That makes sense. Dude, they can't, we can't cast Allie Larder in every movie, Brian. Can't do it. Okay, first of all, you can. But second <laughs> you of all, actually could if you that, wanted to. You actually, if you wanted to, you could <laughs> easily. But you know, anyway, we'll get into it. I'm about to say, Jana Ortega's been in everything the past two years. Why not? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> all right, we ready? I'm going to do the scene by scene this week. Uh, so if y'all don't have anything else, I'll go ahead and get into it. Bear with me. I'm reading off my iPhone, and as Nico said, this is going to be tricky. I hope I don't lose my place too often, but if we do, Brian will make it as if it never happened. So here we go. Here's our open. Our open gives us an awesome classical music score, and we see a woman at a desk, and we watch her from over her shoulder texting. The message is a group chat asking if they're alone because Ted wants to share a secret. He says it's something no one has seen, and he needs their confidence. It's a video of a turtle giving strokes to a shoe. The lady who we see on screen texts and gives a chuckle, and the chat adds laughing emojis and calls him a, bil- him a billionaire philanthropist, easy for me to say, billionaire philanthropist eight-year-old. Then they talk about the rat fucker in chief and what he did and find comfort in knowing that the hunt is coming up and they can relieve stress by slaughtering a dozen deplorables at the manor. Our title card is a brief transition that focuses on the words the hunt in the text message. Cut to a private jet and a flight attendant is offering appetizers and Richard says he wants something more Mediterranean than caviar. <clears throat> he wants a small fish. She can't accommodate that request, so he settles for some champagne. He tells the story of the hide-sick champagne that was lost in a shipwreck, but it's not this. This is just plain old champagne. As Richard asks her how she likes working for Athena, she overfills and then drops the glass as passengers panic about a man's stomach around, asking what happened. Richard yells, one of them is awake. The doctor comforts him and tells him to lay on the floor. He then tells the man named Randy that he's going to put him to sleep because he's woke up too soon and then proceeds to stab Randy in the neck with an ink pen. Blood squirts everywhere and the other passengers shriek in disbelief. The doctor said he woke up too early and we can't have him talking about it. Randy then grabs the following champagne bottle and whacks the doctor in the noggin. We see a woman wake up and start walking towards the commotion. Clutching his spewing neck, he starts waving the champagne bottle to back off the other passengers before the woman who woke up gets his attention, and stabs him in the eye with a stiletto. The woman is Athena. She puts him back with the others and pulls the stiletto out of his eye, bringing the eyeball with it. Yuck. The passenger tells her it's not right and that it hasn't even started yet. She says war is war. The doctor gives the flight attendant her pen back and drags Randy to a different room, 
and calls him a fucking redneck. He asks for help and appears to lose consciousness, and we see another person laying passed out on the floor. It's Emma Roberts. And I'm going to call her Emma Roberts because we don't actually get her name. I think she's referred to as Yoga Pants, but we transition from here on the plane to a field. Emma's character wakes up, and she's got a gag in her mouth. She panics a little and tries to take it off, only to discover that it's locked. She sees another person squatting by the water. It's Crystal. Emma yells to get her attention, only to be ignored. Another person walks by, also confused by what's happening. The music intensifies, and now all three people we've seen so far are walking the same direction. And there's more. They all walk towards a huge crate in the field, and one guy grabs a crowbar to pry it open. Another man warns him that it's a trap, but he disregards. The man who warned runs away, which is enough to get multiple people spooked into running also. The crate is now open, though, and out walks a pig. The man who opened the crate sees something else inside, and when he pulls it out, it's revealed to be a wall full of weapons. We're talking guns, knives, an axe, a sword, and more. Emma walks to find a key, or Emma finds a key attached to the door and unlocks the gag that's in the guy's mouth who opened the crate. He opens hers in return, and then the rest. They try to figure out what's going on, and the old man who warned of the trap offered a gun to Emma. She says she can't use this, and he asks her, can you do this? And makes a come-hither motion with his finger. She says yes, so he replies, you can squeeze the trigger then. Take it. The guy who opened the crate shows her how to work the safety, but the bonding is short-lived as the group is now under fire, and we can't see where it's coming from. Emma says, that almost hit me, and then a second later, she gets the JFK treatment. Her brains are everywhere except for where they were supposed to be. And 13 minutes into the movie, the reason I pushed play in the first place is dead. Wow. The reality sets in for the guy, and he maneuvers around the crate. We see another man armed with two high-powered rifles running and firing rounds until he's shot down. A girl that was hiding in the crate tells our guy to come with her and runs across the field. She falls as she gets across the field, so our guy follows after her. We see that she's fallen into a pit and impaled herself on a spike. After revealing that it's her birthday eve, he helps her out. But the two are promptly blown to high heavens when they step on a landmine. She somehow survived and ended up impaled in the pit again. We meet Staten Island, and the girl in the pit wants him to shoot her. He refuses, so she steals his gun, calls him a snowflake, and shoots herself. Staten Island then runs through the woods and reaches a fence, blocking him from the road. Three more people on his side join him, one of them being Sturgill Simpson, who, swear to God, is one of the two country artists that I actually enjoy listening to. They begin climbing the fence, but arrows start flying in before the last man can make it across. He decided to fight back and walks towards the fire. He shoots off his revival. Or revolver, sorry. He's eventually taken down, though, and a grenade finishes him off. All right, that's the first set of scenes. What do you guys think? All right, so first of all, I know we only see her from the back till like after like half an hour or so, but let me spoil it here. Athena is Hillary Swank, and it's actually canon that this is the direct sweet sequel to The Next Karate Kid, where Julie Pierce moves away, uses this alias Athena moving forward. So I was wondering why she wasn't cast in Cobra Kai. This explains it. Spoiler alert, she dies. So sad ending for Julie, but she got caught up here, dark side of the streets. But yeah, honestly, it's a little bit slow start for me. You know, I kind of think it should have opened with them waking up in the field, then maybe get this flashback to explain what's going on. I would have liked to have been as lost as the characters were, I think. It would have been a little bit more effective for me, but we didn't. Uh, I did like the transition from the text and using that as the title card. I thought that would look really well done. Uh, the plane scene was good, though, for what it was. I just <clears throat> I just think it established stuff that we didn't need right off the bat. But 
they did establish the wine, the caviar callback, you know, we get later. And, and some of these cats, the aptly named Richard, who is a total dick, uh, the first kill, you know, of Randy, I thought was fine. You know, I just, I just, I think the one, the one we get with Emma was so shocking that it should have been the first one is all like the Randy one does kind of establish the satire part though. I mean, the next stab loved it, but it didn't really care for the over the top unrealistic shoe stab to the eyeball thing. Like that's, that's just me. And that was where I kind of, you know, towed the line between the satire and the realistic part of it that I was like, man, I'm not really sure about, especially the first time I watched it. But now the opening hunter, hunger games hunt scene, I really did love. Like I mentioned, Emma Roberts kill was fantastic out of fucking nowhere. Second best ghost face of all time, by the way. But the effects were great. I did like taking another chapter out of Scream with the big name. Well, names, biting it quick, you know, with her and Smallville's uh, Justin Hartley, who you think may end up being the lead, you know, right off the bat. Roberts bites it. Uh, you know, and then we start following my guy, Ike Barinholtz. Like, if you haven't seen Cockblockers or Sisters, by the way, fucking watch those movies. He's great in them. Those are funny as shit to me. But the uh, the chick on the Mortal Kombat spikes looked fantastic. Now, the effects in this movie are a good mixture of CG and practical. And I will say the practical looks pretty damn good. So shout out to director uh, Craig Zobel for firstly even doing some practical effects nowadays, which are few and far between. But also to Lauren Thomas, the makeup department head and her team for the work they do in this flick. I think the effects look great. Uh, but anyway... This open is fantastic. Again, my only criticism was that it was a little too much jokey. Uh, it didn't have it didn't have as dark of a tone and atmosphere as I really wanted it to have. I did laugh at the grenade joke and not pulling the pin. Uh, that one did make me laugh. But even if it wasn't the tone I wanted in this movie, it does establish what you're going to get here. So there's no mistaken identity. Uh, you know what type of movie it is, and it sticks with it. So I definitely respect that. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so I love the opening music. I've seen a lot of criticism online for it, that it was too, uh, like, as you used, jokey, maybe, you know, like a jaunty, you know, medieval tune or whatever. I thought it was cool. I thought it set the tone for what the movie is. You know, everyone, almost everyone mentioned the fact that going in, it became, you know, they had an idea what the movie was, and then they started watching it, and it was something completely different. To me, same thing. I just, once I heard that music, I'm like, oh, we're getting a little bit of a different film than I thought. At least that's what I'm starting to think. And that's just it, in the opening music. And I love that we get a look at these text messages, too, because it does come. Everything you see early comes back into play later. And while I don't, it is a little bit slow here, 
I do like that we all, you know, we can pretty much tie up all these ends. We see what happens to these people in the text messages and, and how that all unfolds. So I like that we get that here. Also, rat fucker is a great insult. I'm going to start using that. That's fantastic. Um, I will say, and maybe it was just the platform I watched it on, <laughs> but uh, this opening scene was dark. I had a hard time seeing all this stuff on the plane. Like, what? This, this movie's free on Peacock. You know that, right? Yeah, I know. So anyway, <laughs> I know, but I'd already watched it. It was too late. I didn't feel like searching for it. Who says I didn't watch it on Peacock anyway, man? You don't, you, you don't know. You just said it was too dark. It was not dark for any of us. Go ahead. You know, it, you know, it was just the uh, lighting in my house. You know, that's all it really was. Hmm. Anyway, I was able to see enough, okay? And I actually really liked the Randy kill. This establishes the characters that we're dealing with, the social elites, if you will, you know, the rich liberal elites, that stereotype that we get, we at least established that early on. And I'll actually complete, you know, complete opposite of you, Brian, love the shoe kill. I thought it was really cool. I liked the eyeball effect. Like, I thought that looked really good. And there's some bad effects in this movie. So I, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a perfect film. But there's some bad CGI effects here in this movie, for sure, as it goes on. Um, but... Then we get to like this Hunger Games hunt style stuff. And to me, this scene started to get in a little bit more of a serious tone, at least while the music is playing. So I love the intensity of that. I love how that movie has more, just more tension, more, more of a serious, scary tone for sure. And they're all walking around with these gag balls and you kind of want to know what's in the box. You know, this scene is like a bunch of different movies put into one and I, I didn't list them all, but it reminded me of a bunch of different movies, honestly. And again, I mentioned the music being fantastic and I'm wondering what the fuck is going on because everything we've seen so far, none of this really ties together. So it's all kind of just a bunch of random stuff. Then the pig walked out. I fucking laughed. I laughed really, really hard when that pig walked out the first time I watched it. Uh, I, I thought it was hilarious. Emma Roberts was great here. She's great in everything. Call me sometime. Um, but it was very, and you know, Brian touched on this, very scream of them to kill off Emma Roberts uh, this early on, which I think is funny because Emma Roberts, obviously, in the Scream franchise as well. So to kind of take away a big name, I loved it. Now I wish Emma Roberts was in this whole movie, but I did love that they were w w that they were willing to do that. They did the same thing with Justin Hartley, who you know you mentioned Smallville, but this is us. He's also a big part of that show and that canon, so. Uh, you know, you think you may be going along for the ride with him, and then bam, he gets killed as well. So, again, this has a lot of stakes already, at least for me. You know, these are recognizable faces, and now they're gone. Um, you know, this, but the way that Hartley died, you know, uh, that Staten Island dies, that explosion looks bad to me, man. That That's one of the bad effects I'm talking about. But, you know, I, it's really not a big deal. It's just a nitpick. Um, you mentioned Ike Barinholtz, who's great. And, and he's fucking awesome in the scenes that he's in. He's mysteriously, he mysteriously looks like Steven Crowder, Matt, you know, Matt Walsh does political commentary on the right. He has a mysterious outfit choice and hair and beard that looks a lot like those two guys. I think that's pretty intentional as well. Um, I will say, uh, last thing when this guy's escaping, trying to climb over the fence, he says, what the fuck is this avatar shit? Which I thought was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Uh, that was a really good line. That popped me big. That's all I had. Like Nico mentioned, it's not on record, but I'm going to put it on there. This is a hard movie to take notes on, for sure. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was about to say, I, I really don't have a lot of notes throughout this whole movie because I'm kind of just watching it and it's just kind of like there's a fight scene going on. There's some some dialogue going on, but I really like the opening group message sequence and the title card reveal. Uh, there, <laughs> there's nothing better than an edgy group chat. DGOTs is wholesome, so I'm not speaking of ours, of course. That's right. We got sure. nothing to worry about. Nice. <laughs> ours is uh, squeaky clean. <laughs> we meet my guy, Glenn Howerton, and he's such a prick, but he plays it so well. Uh, shout out to The Strangers, one of my all-time favorite horror movies. That's He played Mike. He's a guy who got killed for no reason because he wouldn't open his goddamn mouth when he walked in the house. Anyways, once this guy wakes up on the plane, I'm very intrigued about what's going on, really. After reading that group text, and you know, me and Brian, we're going to disagree on this as well because I wrote, Holy shit, what a kill. High heel to the eyeball. Like the first time I watched that movie and you saw the eyeball and like all the cords hanging, I was like, that got a good pop out of me. And I just wrote, Athena is ruthless. Uh, <laughs> and speaking of DJOT's group chat, we meet Emma Roberts, who I was excited to watch in this movie. And then uh, about five minutes later, I was like, well, she's gone. But I'm still intrigued with what's going on in this movie. When she wakes up and has this mouth gag in. She sees another woman with the exact same mouth gag. Kind of, They're kind of just feeling out what's going on. And Mike mentioned this. I wrote this as well. I can't be the only person who heard what's in the box, right? And if I was in that situation, I feel like I would be in the majority, like kind of running away while they're opening that box. Because who the fuck knows what's in it? I mean, it could be some kind of gas. I mean, some kind of wild animal. I mean, who the fuck knows, right? And I also was thinking, I couldn't imagine what the group is thinking right now. You wake up in some random wilderness, you're gagged, you're bound, and now they find a box full of guns. Like, this is, this is some real horrific shit right here. And I kind I really like this opening scene. Uh, now they're being shot at. Well, see you, Emma. It was nice having you on screen for seven minutes or however long you was here. Uh, they used you as, like I told Dustin, clickbait just to get you to watch a damn movie and they stole you from her. I was pretty pissed off about that, but hey, she did a great job while she was here. Uh, this is a wild-ass opening sequence here, which I am thoroughly enjoying. Little error I saw was the woman impaled by the punji sticks. She had no hole in her back or in her shirt. There was, like, no blood at all. I was like, uh, that's that's not right. There should be a, a big-ass gaping hole through this woman. But it's not a big deal, but I did notice it. And I really like the bow and arrow kill as well. I think you said this previously in a different episode, Dustin, but we don't get enough bow and arrow kills in horror movies, and I think we should get yeah. some more. And, mm-hmm. uh... Right now, at this point, I'm pretty intrigued with the movie, and that's all I have for notes, though. You just wait till I pick. We need to talk about Kevin. We got plenty, plenty of bow and arrow kills. Yes, we do. <laughs> you, you mentioned the group chat. Yeah, that, it was funny because when you were starting the movie, you said, "Well, at least I get to look at Emma Roberts," and I said, "Yeah, good luck with that." And then about three <laughs> yeah. minutes later, yeah. three minutes later, you texted, "Welp," and I, I laughed so hard. <laughs> All right, let's get to the next set of scenes here. So we got Staten Island, Vanilla Nice, and Big Red. They're running down the road to a convenience store, walking in, guns drawn. The old couple working there think they're being robbed, but Staten Island just wants to know where they are. They tell him Arkansas. Staten Island demands the phone and calls 911. He tells the operator there's been a murder, and it's Manorgate. The operator is not very helpful or, or urgent. We find out he's being kidnapped from Staten Island. Vanilla Nice was in Orlando. And Big Red was from Wyoming. He tells the operator to trace the call, but looks confused when the operator tells him that's a good idea and hangs up. The store clerk asks him to put his gun away before there's an accident, but he says he owns seven guns and there won't be an accident. When asked why he owns seven guns, we find out Big Red had similar beliefs. It's their right, and it's for protection. The store clerk asks if the people hunting them aren't exercising the same rights. 
The clerk's temperament changes, and Big Red starts choking on a donut she grabbed off the shelf. Staten Island goes to check on her, and when he turns back around, we see the mom and pop have put on gas masks. The female clerk tosses a smoke bomb, and the male clerk blasts Staten Island in the chest with a shotgun. Vanilla Nice is laying on the back or laying on the ground, choking next to the smoke bomb. The old man kicks the canister closer to his face and wafts the fumes at him. He mentions how Vanilla Nice called him a godless elite online, and then tells him that for the record, for the record, climate change is real. Before smashing him in the face with the butt of the gun, he had the old woman turn on a vent that sucks the fumes outside. The blood is mopped up, and the bodies are dragged to the back. And the old woman seems remorseful because Staten Island was wearing a wedding ring. The old man tells her that he's a monster and he, that he probably uses the N-word on Twitter. She lectures him on the correct and appropriate vernacular for African-Americans before Athena's voice on a walkie-talkie asks how many they got and if they're ready for another one because snowfall is heading, snowball is heading that way. They're ready. Athena tells him that she's unarmed, so have some fun. The woman tells her husband that the soda he's drinking from the store's cooler is poison, and when he spits it out, she tells him the poison is just how much sugar's in it. Snowball, a.k.a. Crystal, walks into the store very casually. She asks for a pack of cigarettes and asks what state she's in. The old man is confused and says that most people know what state they're in. She says she's not most people, and she pays with a $20 bill. He reached for a gun under the counter, and the old man gives Crystal her change back for the smokes and tells her she's in Arkansas. Crystal looks at it before slamming, in, slamming the old woman's head on the counter. Crystal then hops the counter, snags the gun, and shoots the old man. She tells the woman cigarettes in Arkansas are only $6 and that she fucked up before shooting her as well. Crystal looks around the store a little and swipes some supplies before heading out with the shotgun. She scans the perimeter and then heads towards a pickup truck. She pulls off a fake license plate that reveals the real one, and we're not in America anymore, Toto. She notices a booby trap on the truck and sees it's wired to blow. Athena comes over the radio and asks how the old couple are, and then we hear the voices on the radio talk about how they can't find Orwell the pig, and they've lost visual on Snowball. A drone flies in to check the scene, but it's shot out of the sky. Athena orders they turn off the radios, and we see Gary walk over and stomp the drone. He walks towards the truck, and Crystal whistles to stop him from blowing himself up by pulling the door handle. She tells him he shouldn't have shot the drone because now they know where they are. She's heading towards some tracks she saw earlier, and Gary's following, following along. Gary tells Crystal that every year the liberal elite cucks that run the deep state kidnap a bunch of regular folks like them and hunt them for sport in Vermont. She tells him this ain't Vermont before taking a leak. The train is coming now, and they've got to run and jump aboard. Crystal makes it with ease, but she has to help Gary. Once aboard, we hear something uh, drop behind some crates on the boxcar, and it's a group of refugees that Gary says are crisis actors. He says they're not real and asks if he's supposed to change his stance on immigration now. He vows to blow the man's dick off with his gun. That sounds different when you say it out of context like that, but he means shoot him in the pecker. Um, if he doesn't cut the shit before the train comes to a stop. Military personnel and search dogs call the group outside. Crystal and Gary ditch their guns and join where the refugees are being searched. Gary tells one of the soldiers that he and Crystal are Americans and he knows the refugees are crisis actors. He had a podcast and he's been exposing these people. When the soldiers walk off, the previously Arab-speaking Arabic speaking refugee tells him, uh, Gary, he doesn't think they believe in him, in perfect English. That sends Gary into a frenzy. He tells Gary he's got to keep it together because the other refugees and the soldiers are real, and this was unplanned, and that if he plays it cool, he'll give Crystal and Gary a head start when they get through this. Gary snaps and shoves a grenade down the man's pants. 
Everyone scatters and the fake refugee is blown to pieces. Crystal and the real refugee are taken to a camp where Crystal finds out they're in Croatia. She asks two officials to call the U.S. Embassy, but they want to see her papers first. They ask if she's hunted like Don, but she doesn't know who Don is. When he's brought in, we see the older man that warned the, about the crate in the open being a trap. She says, yep, hunted like Don. They walk through the camp together, and Don tells her how he ended up at this camp and says they're going to blow the lid off this story when they get back to America. He asks Crystal for her thoughts, and she doesn't care what the motive is. A car pulls up with American flags on it, and Don says they're rescued. That's the next set of scenes. What do you guys think? All right, so I got a lot here, so bear with me. Uh, the mom and pop store scene, I think, is great. Uh, the irony of the climate change activist owning a gas station, I loved it. Uh, another nice, complete protagonist switch as now Ike's Staten Island character bites of dust. And I'm like, who the fuck are we following in this movie? <laughs> uh, I think that aspect is really great. Now, we know some of these cats are, are caricatures of real life people like, you know, Greg being Alex Jones, basically. But all I could think of when I saw like Big Red is Reba's character from Tremors. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Another little fun fact, though, here. When Ma asks, will there be sugar after the rebellion? This is actually a direct quote by Molly the horse from Animal Farm. We didn't mention it in the first set of scenes, but the first reference was the pig named Orwell. Right. Uh, Animal Farm, of course, the famous book written by George Orwell. Great. I barely know how to read, you know, so I never had to read it in school or anything. So here we are. I review movies with my computer sitting on a moving box. So that's what I do. Um, now, I didn't buy Sturgill Simpson as his character. Uh, and, and I actually had a joke here about Dustin loving him, but since he actually does like him, it doesn't really hit the same. So never mind. I'm skipping that. Yeah, him but and I didn't Charlie buy That's him. the only country I like. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that ruined it. ruined everything. Thank <laughs> you. I wish I'd known that before I wrote my notes. But anyway, uh, I just didn't really buy him as that character is all. Now, with that said, I brought this up in my open on the same topic. That leads me to probably my most controversial take. But I'm sorry. This is how I feel. We get reintroduced to here to uh, you know our now final protagonist in Betty uh, Gilpin's Crystal. And look, I liked Betty in the Tomorrow War, great movie, I think. But and I'm I, I think she's miscast here again. I said it may be a hot take, maybe I'm stereotyping, but she looks like a Barbie, and I'm just not buying her in this role. Like, give me Gina Carano, give me someone with that MMA type build, or hell, ironically enough, Hillary Swank because she proved it in Million Dollar Baby. But give me someone who. I would believe was in the military, hardened from some service, just a real badass. And I just don't get that from Betty Gilpin. Like she was, I don't know, like I said, I think she was miscast. I think she's great, nothing against her, but I don't know, I said what I said. And no, by the way, her skinny ass is not pulling Alex Jones' character up on that train like that, barely like one-handed. No, no, that's not happening. Anyway, gunshot kills by Ma and Pa I thought looked fantastic in that store. Great job there. The camera shots in this, like showing the close-ups of the victim, the cleanup, which, by the way, there would have been blood literally everywhere when Crystal walks in. So maybe have made that poisonous gas instead so that we like could still get the cigarette bit if you wanted to put that in there. But, yeah, that was kind of dumb to me that she would walk in and see blood literally everywhere on the floor. But anyway, back to what I was saying, you know, shout out to Zobel and cinematographer Darren Tiernan for those pan shots that we get, especially in this group of scenes, but really everywhere. Great job. Uh, Amy Madigan and, and Reed Bernie did a great job with those characters. Um, you know, like you guys mentioned, we literally just had covered Bernie in the menu two weeks ago. Uh, great actor. But my last nitpick is with the dude that was undercover on the train. I just, I, it took me 
it took me a little bit out of it because I was like, you're telling me he just happened to be the same immigrant descent and hop on that train like that he says wasn't supposed to be stopped and just know that they would jump on it? Like, what if they had blown up in that truck bomb? Like, I don't know. I'm just not buying the leap in logic for the script armor there. But his kill, I'll say it right off the bat, my favorite, the grenade to the dick explosion, a line I honestly never thought I would say on this show. But here we are. And it's miraculous. Chef's kiss. Old dick grenade. Look at that. Twist that. Twist his dick. <laughs> All right. So I don't have as much on this set of scenes because I do think once we get to the refugee camp, it's kind of more of the, the same stuff from the character of Gary. But let's go back a second. First of all, Brian mentioned Animal Farm. I love Animal Farm. I think it's a great allegory for how how life works and, and how money works, like in business and everything else. I love Animal Farm. The book, the animated special, I can't believe they made make kids watch that. They probably don't anymore, but they sure did when I was in school. And that thing is genuinely terrifying. So I highly recommend if you've never seen it to go back and watch it because I think it's really good. The book, also good too. Anyway, and we do get a lot of Animal Farm stuff throughout this movie, especially in the end, which I think is a line that I love a lot. Um, I love this convenience store scene as well, man. I think it's great. There's a lot happening, which we got the slow beginning a little bit, so now we get a lot that's going on. And Love Ma and Pa, Amy Madigan, you know, Field of Dreams for Amy Madigan. She's the love interest in Uncle Buck, one of my favorite films of all time. She's in that movie, so it was nice to see a familiar face, and we already covered Reed Bernie as well. But I mentioned Ike Barinholtz as a character kind of reminded me of, like I said, Steven Crowder, Matt Walsh, even Ben Shapiro a little bit. Like that's kind of Heath kind of embodying all three of those characters, you know, saying a lot of their talking points that they have. And and I think, you know, him biting the dust was very intentional. I thought that was pretty funny the way he kind of like ended up make, like making fun of himself in a way without realizing it. But then you get the, you know, you know Brian touched on the irony of these climate change people owning a gas station, which I, I'm, you know, I'm sure that's not what they actually do, but I thought that was really funny, really good. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Reed Burton had some funny lines, man. He probably uses the N-word in real life and on Twitter. Like, just, just like some really good little one-liners. And I, I I said it at the top. I think this movie does a great job of making fun of both sides of the political aisle, really taking the worst parts of both and stretching them out and, and you know, exacerbating them and making making it all funny, making, making fun of them okay. Like, I feel like the movie says, hey, this is okay. Um Completely disagree here, though, Brian. I thought I thought Crystal May was a great character. I loved it. I think she's a great lead uh, because it is something different. It's something we haven't seen before. I also don't think she's all that thin. She trained her ass off for this role, if you go and look. I mean, she got in really good shape for this role, man. I love the line of, that's only cost six bucks in Arkansas. You fucked up, bitch. Like, I, I love that line. That's a great line. Um, I love that uh, Powder Donut is what took old Wyoming out. thought that was hilarious. This movie starts to touch on things like QAnon. It's not talking about QAnon, but it's kind of funny how just around that time period is when that whole thing started to happen. So kind of predicting that. I talked about Ethan Supley. I think he's the best part of this movie to me. He's so fucking funny. His character is Alex Jones, which out of context, Alex Jones is fucking hilarious. I mean, I'm sorry. He just is. Um, some of the stuff he says is ridiculous, but... 
you, you can't help but laugh sometimes. But let's talk about Ethan Suplee for just a moment, and then I'm going to go on. This man has been Frankie Stacchino. This man was Louis Lastic. Okay. Then he was a racist skinhead in American History X. In my name is Earl. He's on Wolf of Wall Street. This man has a fucking career. Got fat, lost weight, got fat again, lost the weight again. This man has been through it all. Shout out to Ethan Suplee, man. I think he's fucking phenomenal. Although he didn't learn anything from Coach Boone's practices because he couldn't catch that train for shit. My man was out of breath, son. Um, and the train almost left him. He has the line about crisis babies. When we talk about the crisis actors, I thought that was pretty fucking funny. So again, everything that happens at the camp, eh, I could take or leave except for the old, the old dick grenade, which I thought was a good kill. So that's all I had on that set of scenes. I know I said I didn't have a lot, but fuck it. I free, I spitballed on the, on the spot there a little bit. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, mine, mine and your notes are pretty similar, Mike, because I wrote down a lot of similar stuff. Uh, starting things off, I kind of wrote just the mom and pop gas station, just kind of a staple in the horror genre now at this point. I got a good laugh at Staten Island saying basically, fuck them grandkids. Uh, fuck them kids is kind of just a great line for all of us to embrace on this show. Uh, here comes the reveal that they're in on it. Killing folks with donuts is next level evil, okay? It's scary because they could get someone like me like this because I'm a fat ass. Uh, once the three deplorables are killed, this is a part I feel that could be a little divisive amongst watchers. The dialogue, and just my opinion, really teeters a fine line of just cringy as hell or really satirical. You know, it's just up to the viewer. Uh, I thought it was funny, but it's like, ugh. All right, because when you read Twitter, kind of that's how a lot of people are in real life. But anyway, moving on. Now Crystal enters into the gas station and just completely disagreeing with Brian. I think she's such a badass in this movie. Uh, her line delivery, facial expressions, demeanor is so well executed throughout. And just like Mike said, the cigarettes are only six bucks. You fucked up, bitch. That's probably my favorite clip in the whole line. It's my favorite clip and scene in the whole movie. I think I thought that shit was hilarious personally. Hey, the scariest thing you've ever uttered on the show was, and just like Mike said, dot, 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 dot. <laughs> Could have been a lot of shit, pal. <laughs> Uh, Crystal has this aha moment finding out the Arkansas tag is a cover-up here and this truck is rigged like with wires and all that. I really like how smart they made her character. I know Brian doesn't really buy that she's like a military ass, but you know, I, I kind of I, I roll with it. I like it. And just like Mike mentioned, we meet another favorite of mine too, Ethan Supley, a.k.a. Louis Lastic or the skinhead or the Wolf of Wall Street guy. He's awesome. He was at Pensacon as well. Me and Brian didn't go meet him, but we walked past him and I got to look at him, so that was kind of cool. I basically met him. Uh, I really like his conspiracy theory character. I thought they did a great job with that. 
And like Mike mentioned, he's fucking hilarious talking about there's crisis actors and they got, they got crisis babies too. I thought that shit was funny just because people are so ridiculous. Uh, shit gets real now when these soldiers evacuate the train. Gary continues to be hilarious. I have a podcast, my lord. How cringy is that line to think of in real life? Please, listeners, if I ever sound like that, please write me a strongly worded email so I'll change my my whole life. Uh, the grenade down the trousers is an awesome kill, even though my guy had, like, no will to live at all. Who the fuck takes that long to get that shit out of his pants? Like, that dude's not surviving a jigsaw trap. Uh, and I wrote, Crystal continues to impress guessing the country they're in, and the movie still finds a nice balance of cringe and satire with Don's commentary. Uh, I'm still pretty invested in the movie, but the, right about the refugee camp to the next few minutes is where I kind of get disengaged. I do, I do tend to agree with you, Nico, that I just think that set of C, like that part of the refugee camp drags. And that's saying something for a movie that's only 89 minutes. Or I just think when we get there, we're kind of there a little too long. Where where we're not like really moving the story along. We're just kind of killing people, which is fine. I like a good slasher film, but you know that's kind of what happens there. All right. So next set of scenes starts. We've got the driver saying he'll take them back to the embassy and ask why them. It seems so personal. Don says they haven't done shit, and Crystal looks suspicious as the driver interrogates them about what they may have done to be targeted. Crystal swings her feet around and kicks the driver out the door. She then backs over his head, causing Don to freak the fuck out. He asks Crystal why she, she would do that, because he was trying to save them, to which Crystal responds by revealing Gary's dead body in the trunk, knifed in the forehead. She knew he was lying because everyone is lying. Don and Crystal are the last two left. Don says they have a car and they need to get out of here. Crystal says no and tells Don the story of her mom used to tell her about the jackrabbit and the box turtle. Basically, it's the tortoise and the hare director's cut. After the box turtle wins, the jackrabbit kills the turtle's family with a hammer because the jackrabbit always wins. Gary is appalled and asks, your mama used to tell you that story? He's confused about if they're the turtles or the jackrabbits. A pig wearing a shirt breaks up the story time, and we cut to a bunker. It's nighttime now, and we see a group of five elites talking about their endeavors and being sure to put as many hot-button talking points as possible into this conversation. They're unsure where Oliver is and what's taking him so long, the concern is put on a back burner, though, when a gun falls over and scares the shit out of him. Richard has to piss, and as he drains the main vein on a tree outside, Don asks him if this is his pig. This provides a distraction for Crystal to sneak up behind him and cut his throat. The group, the group in the bunker is on high alert as they hear a lot of noises outside. Orwell the pig is tossed into the bunker, and the group freaked out and shot him, making what I believe is our first pig casualty in the history of this show. Martin tells Peter he almost shot him right before Crystal does shoot him from behind and detached his head from his neck. Crystal proceeds to clean house of all the remaining elites in the bunker, even Vince, who thought he could escape by running, but he ran through an open field and was shot in the back. Even with an arrow in her gut, Liberty has the strength and audacity to call Crystal a hick. As Crystal was about to shoot her in the face, Don reappears. Crystal sarcastically thanks Don for all his help and asks him if there's anything he'd like to ask Liberty because... When he killed the last the driver of the car, Don was upset that he didn't get to ask what the motive was. He asked why they're doing this, to which Liberty mockingly replies, because Jesus told her to. Crystal sh uh, goes to shoot her, but Don stops and says, she's a woman. Crystal asks if she'd be afforded mercy, if she should be afforded mercy, just because she's a woman. And when Liberty says no, good night, Irene. Bullet to the face. Don scolds Crystal for doing that until Athena's voice comes over the radio and asks Don if he got her. 
He's a damn dirty double agent. They draw iron on each other, and Don tries to convince her that he's on her side. He's not, though, and now he's dead. Crystal asks the consultant where Athena is, and after some physical persuasion, gets direction. She's at the manor. He warns her that Athena has been training for eight months for this. They make small talk about their military histories, and she thanks him for his service before shooting him in the head. Title card to one year ago. Paul and Nicole are in Athena's office. They're talking about how Martin's account was hacked last week, revealing dick pics, texts, emails, and criticisms of the president. Paul says Martin had to take one for the team and then asks Athena if she remembers a group text she was in with Martin a while back. Nicole reads them. It's the text we saw being sent and received in our opening scene. Athena face reveal finally, and it's Hillary Swank. Paul tells him that it's all over the Internet and people are freaking out because they truly believe they hunt people for sport. He also mentions her manor in Vermont that she assures him is not a manor. It's just a three-bedroom house. They also can't believe she used the word deplorables. It's a charged word. She initially called them fucking rednecks and also provided the alternatives gun-clutching homophobes, academically challenged racists, and tooth-deprived bigots. Paul tells her they're on damage control, hoping it doesn't go mainstream, but he doubts they can stop it. Everyone else in the group chat has stepped down from their positions, and she's got to go too. She says it was just a joke and isn't real, but Paul says that people believe it, and they aren't going away. And the next set of scenes is the ending. What do you guys think? First of all, the running joke with the uh, with it not being a manor, that, that cracked me up. I loved that part. Uh, the opening here with Don and Crystal in the car, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of a slip up and it had been a little bit more obvious to Crystal because I don't really think that he said anything too bad for her to catch on. I mean, maybe I'm stupid and I wouldn't have caught on, but just asking, why would they pick you? Just wasn't, I don't know, it just wasn't enough in my opinion. Uh, and having a plastic container in the trunk that literally says bribe money. Come on, come on. <laughs> like it's such borderline spoof in some cases like that, where I'm like, Oh, come fuck on. Uh, I do love the Jackrabbit and the hair story with the twist and, and the callback at the end. Uh, I love that plot line. Um, there's very good cinematography during that scene too. You know, it's, it's zooming in on each face to keep the scene moving and entertaining because I mean, they take a it takes a long time for me to get through that story because she tells the whole first part that everybody already knows. And so I'm just like, you know, kind of, I don't know. It was losing me a little bit, but the cinematography kept me. It was very, it was done very well. Now I really like the scene in the bunker a lot. I think it's, I think it's kind of meta to have Steve McCotty say he worked on tears of the sun, which by the way is a top 10 favorite movie of mine of all time. Uh, it's worth noting the real advisor was, was Cappy Surrett and Steve McCotty, wasn't in that movie at all, um, but pretty badass action scene here. And uh, having Athena fuck with Crystal, uh, you know, talking her into shooting Don was pretty damn good. Like uh, Terry Wibble uh, playing Liberty looks a lot like Lizzie Kaplan to me. Like there are a lot of scenes during this. I actually thought it was Lizzie um, and her interrogation scene was great, uh, but could have had her look a little bit more like she was in pain with the, with an arrow in her chest. Just throwing that out there. Um, but great fucking throat slash on Martin taking a piss. Now, while I do like the bunker scene, some of the choreography, though, it didn't flow right. I don't know if it was the cuts or or what the camera was seeing during some of the cuts, but it just seemed like almost slow motion. Like most notably, like when Crystal was giving that weird look on her face and then 
uh, super slow leg sweep and then like that forward roll. It just, I don't know, it felt, it felt a little cheesy or else I just don't know if I'm used to seeing like John Wick style action cuts or something. I don't know. Uh, but I will give Betty Gilpin some flowers. The scene here with Sergeant Dale, I really felt like she did a great acting job. Like I think she killed it. And again, not saying, and that's why I said I'm, you know, maybe I'm just being, you know, stupid in, in me saying what I did about Betty Gilpin, but I, I, I her acting is, is not my problem with her in that role. Okay. Um, first of all, I'm a sucker for a good running over the head kill. So to kick this motherfucker out and then back up over his ass, I love that. Uh, which we could have seen a little bit better, but, you know, uh, still, I, I, I just love this movie character of Crystal May. Like, I think it's a great character. And while I'm watching these scenes, I'm like, man, she's badass. She's funny. And I love this dialogue about the tortoise and the hare. Like, I think that was really well written. And it all kind of plays in later, especially at the end where she sees the jackrabbit. Like, I think... I love how all these little things tie in, at least by the very end. Everything is at least answered in some way. We may not like the answer, but everything is at least accounted for that I can recall. And I think the jackrabbit and the and the tortoise and all that stuff, I thought it was really, really good. Um, but she tells, I ain't gonna lie, man, she tells a story like the crackhead you meet at the gas station at 11 p.m. that's trying to talk to you. Like, she, she she's captivating, but also that accent and everything, the way she uses her head, like, very expressionist in the way she tries to tell a story. And sometimes, man, you got to sit there and listen to that crackhead at the gas station. So I, I get it. I love the tears of the sun line when he says, why is the sun crying? Great fucking line. Crack me up. Um, I think these scenes kind of break the thing up a little bit in a good way. Like I, as much as I love the comedy, I felt like we started to get a lot of it. So everything here in the bunker so to speak, and all the kills that take place there, which Brian touched on already. I I think it's a nice break from just all the ha-ha, at least most of it. And I actually like this duo of, of Crystal and Dawn. Like, I think they kind of play off each other well. And you really expect Dawn to kind of be the hard-ass, tough guy, and he's not. He, he, he has a lot of empathy and sympathy for, for even, you know, people that were trying to kill him. And he, so it's just kind of funny to see their dynamic. Um, and again, she's just kicking fucking ass, man. You know, in my opinion, and I know Dustin will agree with this because he loves women's wrestling. Sign her up to her WWE contract. Let her, you know, put her on TV. Let her be a badass with this same character. I know Dustin agrees. Big, big proponent of women's wrestling here in the year of our Lord 2023. Um, <laughs> but okay, moving on. Cause Hillary Swank, once we finally see her, which I like holding that off. Like, I thought that that worked really well for me. You know, we finally get the face reveal. I think she's great. Her facial expressions are great. And I've honestly never seen her in a role like this. So it was very different and very unique. Um, now, not the physical part that comes later because the million-dollar baby, but I thought she was really good as this evil villain. And not even so much evil, just very, very bipartisan, very, or, or excuse me, very partisan to her side. And I think... You know, sometimes these are the things that get people when these jokey text messages come up. They look worse than they actually are. And this is the kind of, so you can see this happening in real life. Hell, it has happened in real life. Luckily, us here at Don't Go Out There Incorporated, we don't have one yet, don't have anything to worry about with that. 
We are squeaky clean. We got nothing. You got nothing on us. We're good boys. Good boys. Um, And, again, as they're firing her, I think the script does a good job of making fun of both sides. On one hand, they talk a lot about, you know, how, you know, you can't say words like deplorables and, and oh, this is just a joke. But if the shoe was on the other foot, they would be coming for their head. And I think that's the point it's trying to make here. And I liked it. I like that we get to see Athena basically get the legs cut out from underneath her and how we finally get to the quote-unquote the hunt. So I think this is a good set of scenes, but probably my least favorite just because some of the kills in the bunker are great. But I, again, kind of like the refugee camp. I just feel like we're there a little too long. The best set of scenes is coming up, brother. Can't fucking wait. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I guess me and Brian just going to disagree quite a bit in this because I wrote, if I'm Crystal or Don, I'm not trusting anyone, even this U.S. embassy guy. I don't give a shit what he says. I don't trust this guy at this point, just with the situation I'm in. And I was like, hell yes, Crystal, kick that motherfucker out of the damn car. Uh, I, I thought she was just, just a badass in this woman. And this, uh, she was a badass woman. This movie. I really liked her, but I was sad seeing Gary die because I'm a big Ethan Supley fan, like we've mentioned. And Emma Roberts, like all my favorite people are getting killed early. So, but I mean, it works, but it does make me sad. Uh, I do agree with you, Brian. I wrote, I like Crystal's Jack Rabbit story, but I do think it just drags a little bit. Maybe just because I know this story so much, but uh, I wrote like this movie is only like an hour and a half, but it drags a little bit in some areas for me. Just like I want to keep this action going from, you know, they're getting hunted from this big box or the, in the mom pasta store. Like I want to see more of that stuff and not, not this other stuff personally. My guy, Glenn Howerton, killed out of nowhere again. My man has no situational awareness. Man, you got to up that. You got to up that up, brother. Like, if this was Madden, you have like a 44 in situational awareness. Uh, then I wrote, man, they roasted this pig. I was like, I got to feel like the animal lovers didn't really like this scene. I got to feel that way because if you look in a lot of horror groups, they got no problem watching, you know, men and women getting slaughtered into 17 different pieces. But you kill a dog or you kill an animal. They ain't happy with that shit. So I got to feel like a lot of horror fans were not happy about that pig getting killed. Uh, Crystal continues to be a bad motherfucker, clearing this room full of all these bums. Love that. Don is revealed. I'm, I'm assuming like he's a bad guy, like because Athena kept calling him by name. It kind of like I watched on Dead Meat, like it wasn't really made out, but I'm assuming he is. Uh, but I really like the fact that Crystal didn't even entertain his bullshit and just, just shot him and killed him. I like that. Didn't want to hear him out like, bam, you don't want to drop your gun. I'm killing you. I like that. 
she now just casually chats and tortures this soldier, and she just keeps solidifying herself as one of my favorite characters of how funny and twisted she is. I like the Hillary Swank reveal, but it is a scary scenario. Group text getting leaked. Not GG, not DGOTs though, of course. Ours is wholesome. You know, just other group chats I, I'm thinking of. After seeing her get fired, I think I will never joke around in text message again because I don't want the feds after me. Uh, this set of scenes aren't horrible, but it's definitely my least favorite. Uh, I just get disengaged with the train and the interrogation parts. But I'm looking forward to the next set. I'm going to say right. that I don't think that Dawn was in on it. I think that she just tricked him into killing him. That's That was my – I don't think he would have killed old, old dude on the train because that would have been his, his buddy if he really was in on it, right? Yeah, I – I don't know. So I think so too. And that's, I was going to touch on it in my closing, but I'll just chime in here. I agree because the next set of scenes, you know, we talk about they're voting on who's hunted. And then when we get to the house, there's pictures of the people on the wall and he didn't appear either. So I wish they would have given us some definitive answer. Was he or wasn't he? But I assume, I think like you, Brian, I think he was one of them. He was just like her. Athena was just trying to play mind games to get her killed. So, all right. The next is the ending. Eight months ago, title card, and a group of people have podcaster Gary's picture up on the wall. They're voting on who will be hunted. Gary is a yes. Big Game Shane is up next, and his picture, posing with a hunted rhino, does him no favors, and he's in. It's revealed that this is the first real hunt. The consultant has advised them to cap it at 12. Next slide is a black man, and the group says they can't because it's problematic. The fake refugee from before says he's playing an Arabic refugee, and he's from Connecticut. That's problematic. The group reminds him that that was his idea, though. Next slide is Crystal. She's rated just as a 6.5, but Athena says she doesn't need to hear more. That's her snowball. Flash forward to the manor, and Athena comes over the intercom at the gate and tells Crystal to put her gun in the mailbox and that she could blow her up right there if she wanted to. Crystal hesitantly puts it in the mailbox and is buzzed in. Intense music plays for a moment, but when Crystal gets to the house, we hear soothing classical music playing. She sees the pictures of her fellow hunted folks on the wall and scopes the place out for some more or out some more. Athena is in the kitchen whipping up a meal, and she asks Crystal if she killed Don and asks if it's because she made Crystal think Don was one of them. Crystal asks if he was, and Athena says maybe, but maybe not. Athena asks Crystal who she is, but Crystal doesn't know. Athena knows Crystal though. She gives her Crystal she gives Crystal her own life story and casually throws in her favorite cheese to make a grilled cheese with in the middle of the story time. Athena reads something that Crystal posted online under the username Justice for Y'all 13 months ago about how Athena hunted people for sport, and the evidence is all there. Athena tells her it wasn't true, and that the texts got leaked were a joke, but Crystal says that's exactly what these elites have been doing, though, hunting her and all the others for sport. Athena says it's true now because Crystal and the others made it true. Crystal says she doesn't want to ruin Athena's big grilled cheese speech, but she fucked up. She got the wrong Crystal May Creasy. There's another one back home, but she spells May with an E. Tired of listening to Beethoven, even though it was actually Mozart playing, Crystal says, let's get on with it, and charges Athena, grabbing a kitchen knife in the process. A fight scene for the ages ensues. At one point, Crystal starts grabbing objects and chucking them at Athena, missing wildly. She broke the Bluetooth speaker, the blender jar, and tried to smash a bottle of champagne, but Athena did her best Andrew Jones impression and snagged it out of the air with a diving catch, saving it from being shattered. After being kicked through a fireplace, Athena grabs a shotgun and starts blasting. After running upstairs safely, Crystal says that that's cheating. 
After struggling with Athena and the gun atop the stairs, Crystal tries to Georgia the jungle her ass away by jumping and swinging on a rope that's decorating hanging from the ceiling. It falls, though, sending Crystal crashing through a glass table below. After the two of them crash through a window, they take a breather. That's short-lived, though, and they fight back inside, but they stopped and said, no more glass, and they open the door. Athena gets the upper hand after stabbing Crystal in the abdomen with the blender blade and the shoulder blade with a meat thermometer. The ble- uh, the blender blade was sticking in Crystal, so she used it to her advantage and pulled Athena to her body and stabbed her with the other side of the blade, transferring the object to Athena's torso. As the two lay on the ground, Crystal asks why Athena called her Snowball. Athena says it's a reference to the book Animal Farm. Crystal says she knows, but Athena would be Snowball, not her. It blows Athena's mind that Crystal has read Animal Farm, a book that I read as a sophomore in high school in Loudoun, Tennessee. Okay, I guess it's just mind-blowing that people have read that book. I don't know. Athena has a question now. Are you justice for y'all? Crystal says no. Athena takes a deep breath and says, whoops, and dies. We hear footsteps approaching, and it's a jackrabbit in the kitchen. Call back to earlier. That's nice. Crystal gets up as a cheerful music plays, and she eats a grilled cheese sandwich and then cauterizes her stab wound. She cleans up, puts on a fancy dress, grabs the champagne and the dog that was in the house, and boards the plane. She tells them the assholes they worked for tried to kill her, so she killed them, and she wants to go home. She chugs the champagne and says it's fucking great. The end. What do you guys think of the ending? So the ending's a little bit hit and miss to me. Uh, you know, first of all, more flowers for Betty Gilpin. Like The facial expressions that she used outside of Athena's gate I thought were fantastic. You felt what she was feeling, and I think she did a really good job there. Uh, second of all, Crystal, yeah, you're going up against someone who, you know, trained with Mr. Miyagi here. So good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> I've already, you know, I've already got to hit, you know, suspend the on the uh, belief button there. But, you know, just with that, uh, I love the back and forth with Betsy and Hillary. Betsy, I think, does a great job holding her own with Swank, but Swank kills it. And great writing with the line, lady, you don't care about the truth, do you? And she says, of course I do. The only difference is I'm right. That's pretty deep, especially with with everything uh, that you're supposed to be, you know, paying attention to in this movie. I love that line. Um, I will give props to the choreography for the final fight. I think it was very well done. It did go on a touch too long for me. It's my only criticism, but uh, otherwise, it was it was very very well done. It was actually choreographed by five women with Heidi Moneymaker as the lead, with uh, input from Gilpin and Hillary Swank. Um, again, great fight. But it suffers from the same problem as as we even had in, in Scream 6. Crystal is stabbed nearly to death, but kind of seems fine at the end. Not going to lie. I mean, she just got up, ate that grilled cheese. Great callback to the Jackrabbit story, by the way. But she just ate that shit, fried her wounds, and got dressed and jumped on the plane. I think I would have liked to have seen them both die there, just honestly. But I do get why she had to live to kind of prove the point of the story. Um but, you know, maybe I would have liked to have seen them both die. Uh, I did love Athena's last whoops right before she dies, though. That's great. <laughs> but, yeah, so just a little hit and miss for me. Man, I fucking love this last set of scenes. I mean, I really do. It, it, it has everything that I wanted from the movie the whole time. I kind of wish maybe they had spaced some of the reveals out as they go. But, I mean, this set of scenes ties everything together for me. I mean... Gary basically being Alex Jones. I mean, you get that whole thing. I like the process that that we get to see of these quote-unquote liberal elites picking these 
conservative people, you know, by the like they're the ones doing it. They're the ones controlling. They're they're going through specifically picking these people off. I love seeing that process. I thought it I really thought it was a great scene. I thought it was a hilarious scene as well, where they're all kind of over PC correcting each other. Um, you know, black, African American, and just like all the little things that you hear throughout our daily lives, like with the volume turned up, obviously, but I thought them kind of just stepping over each other's toes all the time was a nice touch. Um, I love this final fight scene, man. I think it's great. Even before that, you get this diatribe from Hillary Swank. I think she delivers it so damn well. I, I mean, her acting chops really come through there. I think this is the best acted scene of the film as well, just from the simple fact that it's just these two women having a conversation at first and then really getting down to business. Uh, and, and again, I love the diatribe from Swank's character because these are the things that people say about each other on both sides of this spectrum it, all the time to each other. And, and half the time they're never saying it to people's face, but they're saying it amongst themselves. And it, it, I really, you know, it's the shittiest part of being a human. It really is. And it kind of shows our worst character traits, our worst colors to not see other people as just human beings. You know, she calls them uneducated and, and really throws all these barbs at them. And I think, you know, it's better to just get with someone on a human level. But that's just me. I thought the diatribe was great. Well acted. Love when we start to get into this fight, man. It, it is all over the fucking place. It, I mean, it is like they live style fight right there, man. I mean, it, it's not, it's not quite as good as that fight, but I think you get what I'm saying. I mean, it's a really good final fight scene. Um, it is a little unrealistic and, you know, in certain places, you know, we talked about Chad from Scream 6. Uh, it's not quite that bad, but there's a couple of times I'm like, well, how the hell did this person not die? I will say, and this will pop Dustin, but you can listen to Lore of the Ring on all your, all, all your podcast platforms, but, did breaking that glass together not remind you of WrestleMania 17, brother? Dude, it yeah, actually buddy. reminded me. It actually reminded me of the King of the Ring match with um, with uh, Shane McMahon and Kurt Angle, Angle. at first because yeah. they bounced off it the first time. You're right, they did. <laughs> Kurt Angle had to pick him up again. All right, well, anyway, you can listen to Lord of the Ring. I'll let Dustin plug his own podcast. So I was giving him a shout out there. It reminds me of that. Raven going through the glass. I thought it was great. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so uh, I love that scene, and I love where they just kind of lay there, and they're like, "Hey, man, time out. Got to call a timeout real quick. That shit hurted." <laughs> like that's that's the, that's the message I took from it. So I thought that was a great scene. Um, just two women that are badass, and to Brian's lack of knowledge here, Gilpin was on the show Glow, where she plays a female professional wrestler, and she's badass in that show as well. So we've seen her be badass on screen before. Just because you don't think wrestling's real, that's not my problem. I know that, pal. Listen Still here. Still to me, damn it. In the, in the words of a famous comedian, fuck you, Miyagi. That's what I said. Uh, anyway, I, I love that she tried to th- – here, here at the end, I love that she tried to throw Animal Farm in her face, and she knew Animal Farm. She had that quip ready. She was quick on her feet, basically outsmarted her, kind of shocked Athena, and then that little whoops, and then dies. I thought that was a really good way to end that whole confrontation between those two. Um, and I like the end here with with Gilpin on the plane. She gets dressed all nice, and she actually shows kindness and humanity to the flight attendant. You know, invites her for champagne and, and caviar. Which, by the way, caviar is fucking disgusting. Here come the rich comments. I'm just letting you know that shit's nasty as fuck. 
I'm, now, now maybe there's good caviar. I don't know, but it, but it wasn't what I had. I can promise you that. Uh, but I love the, the you know, it's f- fucking great. I love that. Um, so again, this is probably the best set of scenes in the movie to me. That's why I got excited talking about it because so much happens and it's really just these two women on screen together the whole time. So I thought it was really well carried. A great way to finish out a pretty fun movie. Can't lie, Mike. I felt some racist undertones in that fuck you, Miyagi, but I'll move on. Um, I'll send you, <laughs> no, I'll show you the. Nico, I'm I will joking. send you the stand up skit. I'm joking. Never, I'm joking. If you ever heard the spooby skit, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm joking, brother. <laughs> All right. Uh, I will preface this by saying I don't have a lot of notes, but that doesn't mean that this ending was bad. But I'll just start with the vote scene, like where they're voting on the people I thought was a joke in the movie, but it seems kind of realistic to me. But maybe that's just a conspiracy theorist in me that that the elites are picking out people they want to get rid of. I don't know if it found out to be true. I wouldn't be surprised. I'll just leave it at that. Crystal arrives to Athena's mansion, which I believe is Mike Settle's house that they paid him to use for the movie. I don't know if that's true hey, or not. Man, but chill the fuck out. Chill the, <laughs> chill the, the fuck out. caviar. I mean, it might. I, the I mean, one Brian it, was moving into last week. I know that. It might have been Brian's house that he's moving out of or moving into. You're absolutely right. He does move houses a lot. Doug. You might Modern be right. Home. Goddamn business over here. <laughs> I mean, look at him. He's got his shit packed up now. Moving back into it. Uh, I really enjoy pretty much everything in this confrontation between Crystal and Athena. They both deliver an acting clinic, and the fight sequence is incredible. I can't compliment these two ladies enough. They even do a majority of all of their fight scenes and stunt work. Great job to both of them. And I like Mike, and uh, I think Brian mentioned as well. I appreciate the bits of humor, you know, taking breaks to catch their breath and. Mike saying, hell no, nah, don't throw me through that glass again. <laughs> like, I'm good on that. Uh, Crystal, no doubt in my mind, would survive a jigsaw trap. She just got that will to live. I really appreciated that. Cause, cauterizing that wound, I know, hurt like a son of a bitch. And I'm glad y'all brought up Chad and Scream 6. I was thinking that throughout. I was like, I bet my guy Chad would live through the hunt, no problem. Like, like, like he's just built. He got that dog in him, like we all say. Like he, 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 they, they got no chance against him. Uh, Betty Gilpin, she, as Crystal continues to be charming as she casually tells, you know, these flight attendants, uh, like, hey, I killed your bosses and I want to go home. I really enjoyed that. And I just concluded my notes with saying that this wasn't a perfect movie and it does drag a little bit, but her performance kept me engaged throughout the movie. So I pretty much enjoyed the movie. All right. Well, um, I've got just a couple pieces of trivia, and then um, I don't think Nico or Brian have any. So then I'll do mine and then I'll throw to Mike for the budget. Um, so first of all, the movie was pulled from its original September 27th, 2019 release date due to the mass shootings that took place in, uh, I believe it was Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas. And it was of course rescheduled from March 13th to 20, but the box office results are drastically affected by the global COVID-19 pandemic. Many theaters, this was right when theaters and everything was starting to shut down. So, but that's the dates though. September, September 27th got pushed back to March 13th. Then the world shut down and it was available video on demand. I believe that this was one of those first movies that kind of changed theatrical releases, if I'm not mistaken, because this was one of the first ones that they put out there for, okay, $20, you can watch it at home. And now yeah. you see, you still see some, some movies doing that. Like mm-hmm. you can watch it the open weekend or the weekend after it really changed mm-hmm. the, uh, the whole game. Uh, last one I've got is the pig in this movie was treated as an equal on set. It even had full access to all catered meals. So shout out to or nice. Orwell. Nice. Uh, just piggyback off of what you said, Dustin. I'm just gonna skip ahead here. The budget was 14 million. They only made 12.4 million at the box office, and I, I, I believe that's included the 20 dollar purchase and rentals and all that stuff. So, I, I, I 
you know, that sucks. I think this, you know, movie would have made its money back <laughs> and then some just because, you know, word of mouth would have gotten around and it had a lot of controversy surrounding it as well. So I feel like you may have gotten people out to the theater just because, you know, all the controversy, but didn't, and only made 12.4 million for Blumhouse. I'm sure that was disappointing. Yeah. That, a lot of weird timing for this movie. It just, hey, it is what it is, you know. All right, let's jump over to our social media comments and questions. We'll do Twitter first. Sean Irwin replied, Movie surprised me how fun it was. None of the elite surprised me with who they were, but they were hilarious, or they were still hilarious to see them trying so hard. I agree, man. Like, the, the satire was pretty good. Uh, Randy Smith commented, I've only seen it once, but I did enjoy it. Pretty cool take. Definitely not sure how this be eight-legged freaks, though, with the question emoji. And then Kevin Scanlon followed it up with some, uh, obviously there was some collusion with some back alley transactions. Ain't no way eight-legged freak should have lost. <laughs> I mean, I All agree. Right, this movie has fucking David Arquette in it. We'll, we'll do it eventually, though. I'm about That's to say, right. the people want it, brother. I should go over to Facebook now. We don't have anything on Instagram this week. Jennifer Tyree commented, the bunker scenes are my favorite. Okay. And Clayton J., big fan of the show, he commented, I love this movie. Ethan Supley is the reason I watched it. And this is a go-to rewatch every few months for me. Favorite kill? Grenade in the trousers. And I may or may not have wrote trousers in my in my scene by scene uh, notes because he wrote trousers. So I bet I, I bet you're worrying, brother. Well, first of all, I can respect Ethan Supley being the reason you watch this. Like I said, Emma Roberts was the reason I initially clicked play, and that was taken from me. But I just want to point out for this movie to have won by such the, you know by the margin that it won, that's a pretty light batch of questions we got this week. So I think there yep. was some back alley transactions going on. I think some bots were used to purchase votes. I demand a recount. <laughs> Sounds like you want to get a little political. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, hey, did we check the hand? That's a good chat? point, though. I mean, that, it, it, it got a lot yeah. of votes, but then like three questions. Uh, hey, hey, I uh, didn't even vote. Hey, hey, that's not what I voted for. I voted for Freaky. So don't look at me. I voted for the independent candidate. That's right. That was warm bodies. No one oh, wanted that oh, one. <laughs> you voted for the libertarian in the group. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you knew that shit one. When are you wasting a vote? Come on. It's a good movie, though. I'm, I'm picking it. I know, I know. Right, I like Y'all ready to jump into our favorite kill, least favorite kill in the rating? I'll go first since I'm first. Uh, great line by me. I'm going to patent that one. <laughs> Put that shit on the shirt, son. All right. Uh, favorite kill. There's a lot of good ones, like the the grenade in the pants is really good. But I'm going to give the my favorite kill to the stiletto, to the eyeball. Just because the first time I watched the movie, you know, this this movie I had not watched the kill count. I pretty much didn't know anything about it. So whenever I saw the guy get stabbed in the eye with the high heel and then he pulled his eyeball out, that got a pop. I was like, holy shit. I like that kill a lot. Least favorite kill. I'm just going to pick the uh, soldier that Crystal killed at the, you know, towards the end where she just shoots him. And then when I mean, you can pick any of those shot, those, you know, that gunshot kills, I'm going to go with that one. Uh, rating. I pretty much have said it throughout this, you know, the scene by scene. I thought it was a really good. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Uh, Betty, I thought she carried it. In my opinion, it's got a really good supporting cast. Interesting concept, but it does drag to me a little bit. The rewatchability isn't super duper high. Like I'm not in a hurry to rewatch this again. But I just gave the movie a flat seven out of ten. All right, my uh, my favorite kill was actually nuts grenade. Like I said earlier, although Emma Roberts' headshot was was pretty close second. And I actually liked, I actually disliked the sergeant one as well, uh, mostly because it cut away. So I'm not really sure why we got the headshot with Emma Roberts, but couldn't get his, but whatever. Um, and as far as the movie goes, like I said, it was fun. I didn't necessarily want fun from this, you know, especially at first, but 
by the end, it did win me over, you know, to what it was. I liked it better the second time I watched it, knowing what to expect. Uh, it kind of, you know, it knows what kind of movie it is. It leans into it, and I respect that. Uh, Lindelof got a lot of a shitload of criticisms from from both far right and the far left before they even saw the movie. I'm sure he loved that because, hey, that's very obviously the point of this movie. You know, hell, I heard them and and I didn't watch it because of it. You know, I was way, way wrong not to. Um, I do love the lessons you get here. You know, stop being super far right, super far left. This is the divide. And obviously it's being done to us on purpose. Just my opinion. Um, this movie is saying that sometimes, you know, the assumptions we make of people aren't what we think. Uh, Crystal is the survivor because she's not far right or far left. So um, I think that's a strong message. You know, I gave the movie a 6.25. Okay. My favorite kill was Emma Roberts' head, head explosion because it caught me off guard completely out of nowhere. I was not expecting it the first time I saw it. And I think it's some of the better effects that we get. So um, that's a favorite kill. Least favorite kill is Dawn. Dawn because it was off screen. You don't see it. I mean, yeah, it happens, and you kind of like have them turning on each other. I think that's a death that, that I would have liked to have seen on screen. I mean, if so, just as far as impactful deaths, I think Dawn was kind of our second big character, you know? I mean, even over Gary because he made it longer. So, I don't know. I kind of think that, that I would have liked to see that kill. Um, look, I think this movie does a great job of accomplishing what it set out to do. It's supposed to be fun and light, but also make fun of – the people on both sides of the political extreme. And I think it accomplishes that goal. It's not, like I said, it's more surface level. It's not very subtle. It's not trying to send like a big message. It's really slapping in the face with this message. And that's saying, hey, man, don't be so far on any of this stuff. You know, kind of, you know, still treat people as human beings. I think that this movie does a pretty good job of capturing its message and getting it out there. And it just has a lot of fun characters, man. Crystal and Gary and, and, you know, these liberal elites, I think are really funny and they do a great job of kind of portraying those as well. So there's a lot of really good character stuff drags in the middle, but picks back up for sure. Like Nico mentioned at the top of the show, this movie's got great bread, man. It's got like really good fucking flaky goddamn French baguette shit. And then there's just, you know, the, you know, the, the lunch meat in the middle is Oscar Mayer, you know, and that's okay. That's just fine. Um, all that being said, I get this movie a flat seven. Okay. So uh, my favorite kill, I went with Athena just because the fight scene that um, surrounded it was so fucking incredible. And for my least favorite kill, I went with Gary just because it was off screen and he was uh, I, like, we liked his character so much. So just for him to be in the trunk with a stab wound to the head, that's kind of lame. Uh, the rating though. While it's an enjoyable movie, it's not one that I get an itch to watch very often. The po the political themes are well done, and I agree. They do a great job of poking fun at both sides and kind of making it difficult to tell which side of the political fence the writers and directors stand on um, for most of the time. But if I want to see politics shoved down my throat, I'll scroll Twitter, scroll Twitter or turn on the news. Uh, also, I wish we would have got some definitive answers about Don. I said this earlier, it's like, I agree. I tend to think that he was one of the hunted, but it wasn't ever truly revealed which side he was on. And it just leaves a little bit of mystery that I think is unnecessary. It's distracting. Um, I'd recommend this movie. I think it has a very solid acting and casting. But like Brian said, I was going to quote you earlier, but you said it earlier on this one. I like to watch movies to escape from the real world and the real themes that we see in everyday life. 
not to have political talking points shoved down my throat. So that hinders the rewatchability to me some, but the movie is still enjoyable nonetheless. So I gave it a 7.5. That gives us a, a composite score of a 6.9375. IMDb is at a 6.5. So we're pretty good. Very rarely do we have these movies where like all of our scores are like pretty damn close to each other. Yeah. And this is one of them. Like, so all right. I feel like we were all pretty close to the normally the only normally the only time that happens when a movie's like really really good and we're all like yeah this movie's fucking good yeah. or really really like, bad oh, this, yeah or like you know <laughs> or like yeah like Jets takes Manhattan everyone's kind of you know down there at the bottom. Well, fuck off. That one, did <laughs> fine, fine. Thanks, killing is what I actually meant to say. Okay, Thanks or Leprechaun, or, or Lepre- Yeah, yeah, that's true. Hey, what's our lowest rated film overall? That's got to be rubber. That's right? Kevin. What? Gotta be rubber. Gotta be, it's gotta be rubber. rubber. Although, it's gotta, although, although the Irwin's brought the damn score say. up pretty high. Oh, come on, it may be Thanksgiving. Like I, like I think so. I thought. God damn. All right, uh, let's move on. <laughs> Leave it in. Speaking of blood donors, uh, <laughs> nice little segue Very there. Let's right. shout out our blood donors, and uh, next week's review is a blood donor review. Uh, thank you to all of you blood donors. We really appreciate y'all. Camper level reoccurring. Clayton J, Nina, Michelle Merza, Andrew Ferguson, the Horror Movie Crew Podcast, Alex Seligson, Eric Doolittle, Sean Irwin, Brian Samick, and Michael Evans. Our camp counselor reoccurring are Dennis Kennedy, Edwin Hernandez-Gunn, Joe Swinford, Jennifer Davis from the Too Close to Home podcast. Check them out if you like true crime. Heather Smith, Kyler Denise all the way from Australia, Adrian Aiello, Jake Hambrick, Clay Moore, Karen, Matt Strickland, and Gail Koontz. Really appreciate y'all. And next week, we are doing a final guy donor. His review is Kenneth Welch. Or his name is Kenneth Welch, excuse me. And his movie we'll be reviewing is Hollow Man from 2000, I believe is when it's from. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've never seen that movie, so I'm excited to watch it. Kind of funny. Go ahead, Dustin. It, if, it's, it's from, if it's from 2000, let me look that up because Hollow Man is from the year 2000, and this is our film review number 200. So that's pretty oh, interesting. Oh, nice. hey I'm playing you 200 got- and 2000 on the lottery. And, and you guys <laughs> thought we were going to have to do Poltergeist. Come on. Oof. Thank God we don't have that's to do That's movie review 200, episode number Whatever oh, coming God. up, we'll do it. Next <laughs> milestone, baby. We're the fly. I, I vote for Alien and Freaks instead. Let's do it. Anywho, uh, just want to say thank you to all our fans and listeners. It was nice having all four of us back. That's right. Uh, you know, Brian, I missed last week. I missed the week before. You know, life is busy. We apologize if one of us missed. You know, it's not like we don't want to be here, but sometimes, you know, stuff comes up. But we appreciate y'all's support for this fan pick month. Uh means a lot to us that y'all – we're so engaging during the vote, so that means a lot. Uh, and we'll be back next week with Hollow Man for Kenneth Welch's final guy review. Dick Grenade! Just want to remind everybody.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.